Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Our uh, scripture reading this morning will be from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us? Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. We'll turn in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm really proud of our church this week. We really got to minister to some folks who were hurting and struggling, and we really showed out and loved well. So I appreciate you. Appreciate you reaching out to our family and our loss and the Simmons family as well. It's what we do, isn't it? We love each other and care for one another and serve one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. I want to pray and ask the Lord to to help us as we study. Father, you're good to us. We acknowledge that right now, and you are the giver of good gifts, the author of our salvation. Lord, you are our creator. You are our Lord. We praise you. And Father, we need your help because we are hard of hearing and hard of seeing and we can't understand your word. We can't understand the significance of your word unless you help us. So Holy Spirit, teach us. Help us understand your word. Help us understand how to apply it to our lives. Lord, may we leave today yielded, empowered, emboldened to obey you in all things. We do thank you for salvation. We thank you for Jesus who lived for us, who died for us, and who rose on the third day for us as well. We have much to celebrate. And it's all because of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, which of the four Rocky movies is your favorite? The Rocky saga. Rocky Four is my favorite, and I'll tell you why. Do you remember the plot? After reclaiming the boxing championship title, Rocky Balboa plans to retire and live a quiet life with his sweet wife, Adrian. However, during an exhibition match, Rocky's friend, Apollo Creed, is beaten to death by the Russian, Ivan Drago. Rocky vows to pay back against Drago, and he flies to Russia, and he trains for a Christmas Day fight. And despite their different training methods, Rocky and Drago, they both wage a long and intense match. But why is the movie so well loved? Why is it so popular? Why is it so good? Well, two reasons. First, because the timing of it, the movie. You remember the movie came out when Ronald Reagan was president and it was right in the middle of the Cold War we were having with the Russians. The second reason that the movie was so popular and so loved is because it ended well or it ended in my case rightly see the russian lost and the american won i came out of that movie i remember i I didn't get to go to the movie theater very often but i went to the movie theater and i remember coming out of that that movie theater wanting to enlist i was so excited we love happy endings don't we we love happy endings when things turn out well. Well, last week was Palm Sunday. We saw two events that were significant in Jesus going to the cross on Good Friday. The first thing was Lazarus being raised by Jesus of Nazareth, who proclaimed himself to be king by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to the accolades of all the people in Jerusalem. Now, these events we said last week were deliberate, and they instigated the fury of the religious leaders leading to the death of the Savior, the Passover lamb. Well, prior to Passion Week, Jesus had begun to teach his disciples why he had come. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 through 19, as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, he says, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. See, Jesus had been teaching and preparing his disciples for his death and his resurrection, but they couldn't fully understand. Well, after provoking the religious leaders, Jesus is eventually arrested. He is put through a mock trial. He is beaten, crucified, and Buried, And if you have been reading devotionally through Passion Week, you've read all of those, about all of those things. And then Friday, of course, Good Friday, we studied and read of Jesus' death by crucifixion. Think about that Friday. The disciples had experienced the worst day of their lives. Jesus was crucified and then buried. But this is Sunday. Phil read Mark's account of the resurrection, and Jesus said he would die. Three days later, he would rise from the dead. Well, to not do so would mean that Jesus was just another liar. In fact, Tim 
Timothy Keller, in The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism, he writes, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead, and Paul tells us that. Paul, he writes this letter to the Corinthian church that he started on his second missionary journey, and he writes his letter from Ephesus on his third missionary journey to address some serious issues, and he addresses those in chapters 1 through 7, and then he answers questions that the believers in Corinth had in chapters 8 through 16, and we're in the latter part. He's answering questions, and one of the questions he's answering is about the resurrection. Now, the Corinthians weren't having difficulty believing the resurrection of Jesus, but some were stirring up trouble because someone was saying that those believers who have already died, their bodies will not be resurrected. So Paul first reminds the believers in Corinth about Jesus' own resurrection, and it's to these verses that we now turn. And, and two things I want to point out from this text, um, firstly, is that we'll see that the, the resurrection is part of the gospel. The resurrection is part of the gospel. And secondly, we'll, we'll learn what the evidences of the resurrection are. So let's read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. We'll read that together. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Well, we see here in these first few verses, Paul reminds them of the gospel. This is the gospel in verses 1 and 2 that they received, that they took their stand on. This is the gospel that they believed. And notice the, the word if there in verses, verse 2. That's a conditional statement. See, belief in Christ is not a one-time decision. Oh, I believed in Jesus long ago, so I am a believer in Christ. No, it's a continual commitment to follow the Savior, a continual commitment to trust the Savior. So the meaning is that the Corinthian Christians were being saved by their continuing faith in the gospel. In John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. In fact, the proof that we're believers is that we're holding firmly or we're believing in the gospel. And Jesus knew many who were supposedly following him after he fed the 5,000 did not believe. Many people were following Jesus. He knew many of them didn't believe. How do we know that they weren't true believers because John chapter 6, verse 66 tells us they stopped following him. 
they walked away. They didn't persevere in their faith. See, perseverance of our faith is required for salvation. Only those who persist in faith can have any confidence they truly have it. We lost two sisters uh, from our church this week, and those two ladies, they love the Lord. And you know what? There as they lay um, bedridden, they continue to trust the Lord for salvation. They continue to trust in the Lord's work on the cross for their salvation. They continue to trust him till the end. Verse 3 and 4 says, He passed on to them the gospel when he first shared it on his second missionary journey. See, Paul was their spiritual father. He said he shared with them what he received as of first importance. And that's a little that's worded a little odd for us. Let me paraphrase it for you. He says, I shared with you what was most important. Paul went there during his second missionary journey, and when he got to Corinth, he pushed the conversation to what was important, which is the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's explicitly stated here that Christ died for sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead. If I ask you what is the gospel, would you have included that he rose from the dead in your gospel presentation? See, the resurrection is just as much a part of the gospel as the crucifixion. Belief in the resurrection is essential for our salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, we see it clearly. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not enough to say that Jesus died. Jesus did die. He died for sins once for all. He died in our place, taking our punishment. He died to atone for our sins. He bore the wrath of God for us. That is the meaning of what it means to uh, take the cup as he prayed in the garden. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The cup is the, the Bible, in the Bible represents God's wrath. On the cross, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for those who would believe. So there is none left over for us. And praise the Lord for that. But Jesus was crucified and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But if we stop there... What do you have? You have a dead Messiah, a dead man. And we know throughout the centuries, many have died for great causes, and we call those men heroes. But Jesus wasn't just a hero. He didn't just die for a good cause. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, according to Romans chapter 4, verse 25. John MacArthur, he says this, a crucified Messiah would be no Messiah at all. A Messiah left in the grave would be no Messiah at all. A Savior in the grave would be no Savior at all. It was the resurrection which proclaimed him to be the Son of God with power. There's no power demonstrated on the cross. The power is demonstrated in the resurrection. That's the song we sang, Power of the Cross. But without the resurrection, there's no power. And in verse 3, I want you to notice the apostolic authority of the gospel message. Paul didn't just hear this message from any man. No, he heard this message from Jesus himself by divine revelation. So just like the other apostles, Peter, James, and John, Paul was taught by the Lord. So first point, without the, the resurrection, there's no gospel. Without belief in the resurrection, there is no salvation, okay? 
So the resurrection is part of the gospel. It's very, very important. Secondly, we look at the evidences that the resurrection occurred. It's real simple, real straightforward, verses 3 through 11. How do we know that the resurrection occurred? Well, Paul tells us in verse 3 and 4 that the scripture said Jesus would rise. You think, well, where, did, where does it say that? Well, we see it all throughout the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 12, we see the Passover lamb. It points us to Christ. In Leviticus chapter 16, when the sacrificial system was, was being described, the day of atonement, the sacrifice that was to be made on the day of atonement, that's pointing to Christ. Isaiah chapter 53, turn with me if you would. Children, if you've got your Bibles, turn there. If you get there before your parents, your parents are going to give you $5. So let's turn quickly. Isaiah 53, and if your parents beat you, then you've got to vacuum this afternoon and dust the house, okay? Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was cr crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with him, his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. On who? Who did the Lord lay the iniquity upon? It was on Christ. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Who is that referring to? That is pointing us to Christ. After his resurrection on the Emmaus Road, Jesus revealed himself to two disciples there. I love that story, uh, that account of, of him meeting those two uh, disciples in Luke chapter 24, verse 25 and 26. Jesus says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what he said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Moses and the prophets, that includes the, the Old Testament. Jesus says, the Old Testament is, is telling you all about me, it's pointing to me. See, the scripture said he would rise. We see it in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Peter quotes Psalm 16 in which the Holy One, it says, won't see decay. Who's that referring to other than Jesus? When the Pharisees asked Jesus to perform some miracle for them, Jesus alludes to his coming resurrection when he says in, in Matthew chapter 12, he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's Matthew 12, verses 39 and 40. How do we know Jesus rose from the dead? The scriptures, they tell us he did. They tell us he would and tell us he did. The second evidence in uh, the resurrection that many people saw him. Look at verses 5 through 8. Peter saw him, then the 12, then Paul says 500, then James, and then the rest of the apostles. And lastly, in verse 8, Jesus, after he ascended into heaven, he appeared to Paul. That's why he said abnormally born. He wasn't with the, the rest of the apostles. After Jesus ascended, he appeared to Paul, but Paul was also an apostle. I love this, um, this quote by Lee Strobel. He, in referencing the appearance to the 500, Lee went to a psychologist friend and said, if 500 people claimed to see Jesus after he died, it was just a hallucination. 
And he, he went asking that question if that was possible. And the psychologist said, hallucinations are an individual event. He says, if 500 people have the same hallucination, that's a bigger miracle than the resurrection itself. We know Jesus was resurrected because the scripture said he would, and there were eyewitnesses who saw it. And also, the changed lives give evidence to the resurrection. Verses 9 through 11. Paul here, he testifies to the transformation that occurred in his own life as a result of the gospel. I mean, come on. What is Paul doing prior to his Damascus Road experience? He's killing Christians. He's going to houses and before little children, he's dragging mothers and fathers off to jail. He's ruining Christians' lives. And then he's confronted by Jesus on the Damascus Road and he does a 180, doesn't he? And not only does he stop persecuting the church, he begins to promote the gospel he once tried to eradicate. He's working like no one else endorsing the gospel after this encounter. Look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. So he goes from persecuting the church to working harder than any of the other apostles and any other disciple trying to promote the gospel. How do you explain Paul if the resurrection didn't occur? Paul was a cruel, vicious man, but after Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the Damascus Road, he's willing to, to give up his life, not only for Jesus, but for those he previously persecuted. How do you account for that? And what about the changes in the apostles? They were in a bad place before the resurrection, if you think about it. They abandoned Jesus upon his arrest in the garden. Peter denied Jesus, not just once, not twice, but three times, and we see him weeping bitterly. And disciples had seen Jesus' broken body and seen him crucified. They'd seen him buried. And they're together in Jerusalem, brokenhearted and bewildered. But then after the resurrection, after Jesus appears to this, these disciples, something powerful occurs. Jesus tells them to stay in the city to receive the power from on high. They did receive the Holy Spirit, according to Acts chapter 2, and they lived the rest of their lives preaching this message, even if it cost them their lives. And it did. They all suffered. They died because of the resurrected Christ. Think about nobody dies for a false cause. Nobody. And I think about our church family. This powerful resurrected Jesus has changed some of us too, hasn't he? We know that Jesus was resurrected because the scripture said he would. There were eyewitnesses and there's changed lives, the changed lives of the apostles. And, and lastly, in verse 11, just the uniformity or the consistency of the message. Look at verse 11. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed it it doesn't matter who preached we preach the same message don't we that's what paul's saying the apostles they all had the same message and we read through the scriptures we've challenged our, our students uh, phil and cindy and i we lead the students the middle school and high school small group and we've really challenged them during this during this quarantine time uh, as they're at home they have more time on their hands to, to try to read through the new testament and so many of them are are, are consistently 
being persistent and reading through the scripture. Some of them are actually finishing this week. But if you read through the Gospels, you read through Paul's letters and Peter's letters, it's interesting when you 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 see them preaching and teaching from different perspectives and different vantage points, but the message is always the same. They're sharing the same message. And also, if the, if the resurrection wasn't true and the story was a big fabrication, how could it be that it was never exposed? That's what's amazing. I mean, think about it. If we had something that we had to cover up, even if we excluded the children, we didn't tell the children we had something we were trying to cover up, how long do you think we could keep the lie going? Not very long. Charles Chuck Colson, he writes this, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How, you might ask? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. He writes, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. That's something. The gospel message was revealed to the apostles by Jesus himself and then to us through the apostles' teaching, which we call the Bible. And this message is the good news about Jesus' death and about his resurrection. Jesus was raised, and we celebrate that today, this Easter morning. John Stott, he says, we live and we die, but Christ died and he lives. Evidence given here by the Lord through Paul is that the scriptures said Jesus would rise from the dead. Also, there were people who saw him, eyewitnesses. There are changed lives are, are also evidence that Jesus did what he said he would do. And lastly, the same message which was shared for 40 years by the apostles amid suffering and adversity. Yeah, there's this uniformity in the gospel message. That those, all, all those things give evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. What does this mean for, for you and for me? How do we apply this text this week? I think a, a couple of things. Firstly, Paul shared what was most important with the Corinthians and what happened. He shared with them what was of utmost importance and what happened. Um, a church was born. The gospel is the power of God, isn't it? That second missionary journey, he started the church in Corinth. Let me ask you, believer, do we look to bring up what is most important? Let me ask you, when's the last time you shared the gospel? If you're a believer, you've been changed by the powerful gospel message. You've been changed by the crucified, resurrected Jesus. When's the last time you've shared that story with someone who needed to hear it? The second thing, when we do share the gospel, don't forget the gospel. It's like being sent to the store to get eggs. You ever do this? Husbands, you've done it and I have too. You go to get eggs or maybe it's just a gallon of milk and you go to the store and what do you do? And baby backs are on sale. So what do you do? You pick up in baby backs, you go up there and you come home all, all proud and smiling 
you tell your wife you got them ribs and the price you paid and she's all proud of you. And then she says, where's the, where's the eggs? Oh, wasted trip, right? It's like that when we share the gospel. Don't forget to share that Jesus not only did he die, but he rose from the dead and he willingly gave up his life. He died, suffered the wrath of the Father. He drank the cup dry. He took our punishment. But the scriptures tell us, Romans chapter 4, that he was raised for our justification. To forget that part is to forget the gospel. So this week, church, let's share the gospel. Let's ask for opportunities to share in this time of uncertainty. A lot of people are uncertain and don't have a lot of hope and people are anxious. Let's look for opportunities to share the gospel. And if you are listening, you're watching and you've yet to be changed by the resurrected Christ, I want to encourage you to yield your life to him. Submit your life to him. Repent of your sin and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. Scripture says if you submit to him and yield to him, he'll forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You'll go from being his enemy to being his child. And don't you want to be his child today? Don't you want to have your sins forgiven? Don't you want to have a relationship with the one who loves you so much? Don't you want a guarantee that you'll have eternal life? I hope you'll repent. Let's pray, and we'll finish this Easter Sunday morning. Father, we acknowledge that your scriptures are true. And we've been taught this morning by you through the Apostle Paul that the resurrection is of utmost importance. It's part of the gospel. Without the Jesus rising from the grave, we have no good news. We have a, a dead pretender. But Father, we know that you did rise. There's much evidence to prove it. And we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for the lives that's been changed. Those that are watching this service and participating in it, many have been changed by the sweet gospel message, been changed by the risen, resurrected Savior. And Lord, I pray that you would help your church this week to look for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. Lord, that we'll share this sweet, sweet message. That we'll tell our co-workers and our neighbors and our family members about Passion Week and how Jesus endured much, deliberately went to the cross to pay for the sin of man. And he was buried and on the third day he rose lord give us opportunities give us the will a desire to share that message and give us the boldness and the opportunities to do so and father if there's anyone here or anyone who's who's watching this service participating today that is yet to be affected and have their life changed by the resurrected christ i pray that you would allow the gospel message even today to just ring loud in their ears they would know that they're a sinner Lord, that you would bring them to a place where they see you for who you are and they see their sin for what it is. And Lord, they're appalled by their sin, convicted of it. And Lord, help them to confess it and repent and turn from it. And grant them faith in Christ. Grant them repentance 
today so they can turn from their sin and trust Christ's work on the cross as their own. Lord, I pray that you would change lives today. We thank you for all that you're doing in, through your church and to your church. Help us this week to live for you. And Lord, help many lost souls here in our, our community to come to know you. It's in Jesus' sweet name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.